ready to achieve great heights, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Power Your Performance, the podcast where we dive deep with leaders in the gaming world and beyond and learn the techniques they use to power their lives. I am your host, Gary Kleinman. Ali Breke, welcome to Power Your Performance. Thank you for having me. I am so excited. Uh, I know a little bit about your story. You are a female gamer for a very, 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 very long time, but not that long because you're still <laughs> young with a 12 or 13-year-old, I believe. 14. 14. Okay. Got older in the last few days. <laughs> uh, and a community manager. And uh, you're going to tell us all about it. And there's some specific things I want to get into as a female in gaming and the trolling and the behaviors and what have you and how you handle that. So the best place to start is generally at the beginning. How'd you get into gaming? I got into gaming. It started off with um, I had some older cousins who they like they were probably five, six years older than I was. And it was in an SNES. And, you know, I was the only girl. And so I would get brought along to family functions and most of the kids would get shuffled off to the room so the adults could do what they were going to do. And um, they eventually got tired of me whining about, well, I want to turn. So they wound up letting me play and it has snowballed pretty progressively for the next 28, 29 years. Were they receptive to a girl playing with them? Even though you were a cousin, yeah. did they give at you a first, hard time? At first they did. And then you beat and, them and yeah, that changed everything? <laughs> it was something where they were still a little, you know, my eldest cousin, he was like, oh, okay. You know, you because they were worried I was going to like cry or I was going to ruin, you know, the game or something. And my oldest cousin realized, okay, you know, she's got it. It's fine. And then when the N64 hit. Uh, like GoldenEye and, oh gosh, what was that one? I can't remember. What, Gauntlet Legends. Um, when we were playing against each other or with each other, all of a sudden the attitude changed because GoldenEye, to this day, I'll still play emulations of it. It's my childhood. And I was beating my teenage cousins. How This is, how old were you about this time? GoldenEye, I want to say, I want to say like 10? Okay. I'm terrible with like ages. No, it's okay. <laughs> and, and then I know there was a period of time in your childhood that was a little bit difficult. And yes. uh, it, it, without getting into as deep as you want to get or not, but, but I think what, what's powerful um, is how gaming helped you. So I know somewhere in your childhood, you ended up in, in the foster system. In, 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 what, in what state? Illinois. Okay. How'd that happen? I mean, and then we'll go um, into the, the kind of sort of savior aspect of it. I had had a very volatile childhood. My father was an addict and a, con a convicted felon several times over. And my family just sort of turned a blind eye to it. All the extended family, they knew what he did. They knew how angry and violent he was. And it was just, if they pretended it didn't happen, then, you know, they could keep living that lie. And when I was about 10, there was an incident that rose to the occasion of I was removed from the home. And when the family was kind of questioned, like, how did you not know this was happening? Where I was showing up with fractures that weren't set properly. I was showing up clearly, you know, 
you can see bruises, you can see cuts, you can see scrapes, um, you can see black eyes. Mm. And it was, how are you turning a blind eye to all of this? And there was no really good answer. And it was, um, it was just easier for them to say, you know, we, we can't take her in. They took my younger brother in, which my younger brother, he was kind of the golden child. He was the planned baby. I was unplanned. Okay. Um, and, uh, well, first and foremost, I, my heart breaks for you to have that in your childhood and the impact of it and how I know when you got to the foster facility or the home that there was a gaming device. Yes. Um, and, and you immediately the, took to it. Yes. There was the original Xbox and it was, you know, at the time going into that home, you know, it wasn't the greatest place, but at the same time, you know, I was removed from a situation that all I'd known was volatility. And the one thing that kind of carried over was the one thing that I could remember made me happy. And that was gaming. There were a couple of other kids in the house and it was the original old school Xbox and uh, Halo one. Oh. And it was, I dove right in because it was, an, it started off as an escape. So you think that's where the, 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 the power came from, if you will, or the joy was the virtual world that you could live in and create your own virtual world? I think so. I think a lot of it came in where, because there was, you know, the court case and the different interviews. And then, you know, there's, when you get injured severely and it's not taken care of, it's a process to set bones that need to be properly set that haven't been for years. And it was just, I was miserable. And then for, for those, you know, half an hour, an hour, whatever they let me play, I, I wasn't, you know, myself, I was master chief. I wasn't in a home that in the back of your mind, you know, it's not my home. This isn't my family. And you just kind of feel like you're this lost dog, just kind of, you have no idea where you, where you really are in the world. And. And you were young. Yeah. And it was kind of like a security blanket where I could control the situation. I could, there were, I didn't have people judging me because even at 10 and 11 and 12, you know, the defense lawyer's job is to cross-examine you and it is to, you know, as horrendous as it is to do to a child, it's their job to make you seem like you're making it up. And I remember there was a particularly bad court date and I, I didn't speak for like three days after it. Mm -hmm. And, but I played Halo because, you know, nobody, in my mind, you know, it's as a kid, not realizing what the correlation was, no one could stop me as master chief. Or if I messed up, it's okay. You start over. Right, right, right. I mean, it's interesting. There's, there, there are quite a lot of studies about the use of gaming in uh, the treatment of PTSD. (laughs) And and it almost sounds like you self medicated or self treated with gaming at an early age, because it gave you the power to kind of control your environment. Absolutely. Because it was even branching out into other games then. 
it was still like Halo. It just, it holds a special place in my heart. I think it was because that was what got me through the worst of the worst. So you think um, some of the of- reasons you still game is that it, it goes back to such trauma, but it allowed you to escape that trauma. And it's so ingrained from a positive perspective that you've continued to game and we'll get into you building a community uh, because I think that may well be an outgrowth of that as well. Yes, <laughs> I do. I think because I still to this day, if I've had a really, really bad day or we had uh, a death in the family not that long ago and I found myself just, you know, knee deep in an MMO where it was, you know, even at you know, being a full grown adult, it's being able to create a world or be in a world where everything around you there's a it's not so much i don't control everything around me but i know that it's safe and there's also like a social aspect with that because going into foster care everyone judges you especially if you have to move schools or something the moment kids hear that you're a foster kid at least back you're labeled right yeah having had some personal involvement with some from close friends in that mm -hmm. system it's very labeling it's very traumatic it's very fracturing and and what have you oh so tell me about the community aspect when you first started feeling a sense of others through your gaming there was i want to say it was sixth or seventh grade there was a gaming club at school and there were a bunch of people with uh, Xboxes. You'd get together what we call LAN events. Now yep. we would all hang out and we'd play, you know, Halo, Halo 2 specifically, because that was the big multiplayer. You know, everyone's having fun <laughs> and just other games. And it was the first time where I the only sort of I won't say judgment, but there was definitely a bit of a barrier because I was a girl. I was one of two girls in a group of 20. Wow. So it was still very girls don't play video games, which, I mean, we all know is not true now. Uh, well, but, but there, it's interesting you say it, you're, you're 100% right. The statistics are it's almost split 50-50 male-female. The average age of a gamer is 37. Uh, that encompasses everything from Candy Crush to Call of Duty and, and, and what have you. But in that core of hardcore gaming, uh, you don't see that many females so when you're going back that many years did you feel a lack of acceptance except for the other the other girl yeah it was and it shaped how you know working in esports now i've realized how it shaped me my first instinct is to you know stop the insults before they begin if it comes to you're not a real gamer because I, I had to prove myself to those boys. And it was the only way they would stop with the girls don't play video games. You know, it took, it took beating them all individually for it to stop. Well, that, that is the great equalizer in all sport, yes. right? <laughs> if, you, if you play uh, tennis with a female, and I go back to my high school days a while, mm-hmm. a, short, a short time ago, and my, my then girlfriend was on the, the high school tennis team. I didn't even want to play a set with her because there was no way. And there is some credibility uh, that she got just as a result of her athletic ability. And I am sure gaming was the same way. So before we get into the esports and where you are today, you grow up through that system. You obviously ultimately leave that system and you continue to game. Yes. <laughs> And you did that, I mean, at some point professionally as, and you started as a community manager, is that correct? 
I started actually just streaming with some friends who did some QA testing and some beta testing on a video game franchise. And they were doing community streams where the the actual community manager from Ubisoft was doing them. And I had friends say, you know, hey, Justin's playing Unity on Twitch. Go join him. And it was like, okay. <laughs> where it was like, you don't have to twist my arm to play one of my favorite games. So we went in and... Um, it just it clicked and there was that sort of community that I hadn't really gotten into the community based around a singular video game before. It was always just people around me. Which So Twitch was this entirely new environment of these micro communities everywhere. And I wound up streaming for a little bit and then I went into community management with uh, individual streamers. And then from there... It went to community managing a couple different brands and then esports. So the community Sorry. manager, I mean, gaming, uh, and I always mm -hmm. find it interesting when people speak about or talk about esports and gaming as a single unified unified activity, like baseball, wherever baseball is played is nine innings, the same positions, the same batting mm -hmm. order, relief pitchers, the whole the whole thing. But gaming's not that. I mean, esports is a you know, basically a conglomeration of multiple different titles and multiple different genres. Did you find that the when you are managing community, that you're managing community within a title and a genre as opposed to a bunch of people that just game? Yes, there were definitely different ways that you had to handle each community because the org that I started with, they had a professional Halo team, a professional Gears of War team, and a professional World of Warcraft team. And each community was handled differently because how the the WoW fans behave and how the, even the way they speak, like it's almost like going to, you know, going to England and there's so many different dialects. And with esports, it's kind of the same way with how you have to approach and talk to these different communities. And, and did the toxicity that, that you experienced growing up hmm. impact the standards that you created for the community and yes. the, the behavior patterns? Absolutely. So how do you communicate my, that as a community manager? How do you communicate um, to that community within a specific title that bad behavior on any level, whatever that level is or whatever mm -hmm. that bad behavior is, is just not tolerated? Well, I actually got very fortunate signing with Gosu first because they, me coming in, it didn't change um, their rules in terms of how absolutely no sexism, no racism, no bigotry of any kind. You know, everyone is here to game. We're not judging. We're not going to start attacking, you know, people, that type of thing. They were very, very clear about that with their entire community. The first real instance that happened, it was my first tournament working as their community manager and our Gears of War team. Uh, was competing mm -hmm. and um, someone in the Twitch chat had recognized my name as Gosu's community manager. And we were playing against another org at the time and their fans picked up on that. And I had to, I closed my Twitter DMs and made my account private for about a week after I received a little over a hundred just obscene messages where it was, you know, unwanted photos of you know i'll let you imagine yeah 
uh, death threats, rape threats, threats against my kids, threats against that that was going to be doxxed. And I mean, that's just crazy. It's just yeah, so hard, you know, sitting here having this conversation with you and actually believing that this is going on. And is is that going on, do you think, because in those conversations, people can be anonymous. They, they've got a handle. Absolutely. And there's, it, their picture's yeah. not there. Nobody can really call them on it. Absolutely. Because I can tell you, I have been, how people behave towards me online versus how they behave if I go to an event in person, completely different. I mean, and this is even, you know, I can tell you people that I've dealt with online and then dealt with in person. Yeah, well, of course. It, it, if somebody's going to do it in person, I mean, it's mm-hmm. incredibly uh, confrontational and aggressive. And then there are other people there, uh, hopefully, to, to intervene. So how do you stop that online? I mean, if is there a way you think to verify people and, their, and, and, and the name that they're using, their handle that they're using, so mm-hmm. that it can be stopped? I mean, this has been an issue for quite some time. We talked about it a couple of days ago of uh, somebody that I know that was really trolled mm-hmm. with some pretty significant anti-Semitism online to the point that she closed down her stream. And when I spoke to her, I said, you know, as, as we discussed, the worst thing you can do is close it down, get up and stream mm-hmm. more. But as a community manager, who sets the, those rules? How do you create consequences and who's there to enforce them? Um, I think from a Twitch perspective, um, because I think that might be the easiest because otherwise, you know, it's bringing in people, you know, how I manage an organization versus, you know, a Twitch stream. They're a little different because one is a business. Not that Twitch streams aren't, you know, shouldn't be treated as businesses. However, I have, you know, contracts that everyone in our, particularly the player community signs, whereas you don't get that on a Twitch stream. Um, there's a couple different steps that you can take with a Twitch stream that, I mean, first and foremost, and this is something as someone who was a professional moderator for a while, have good moderators. Make sure they understand that they are the first line of defense um, because Twitch has something called an automod feature. It's not going to catch everything. People actively spend time trying to find ways around it. Of course. How to make you say Kind of like ad blockers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having to go through that process, moderators are much more important than a lot of people give them credit for. Because I can tell you, I've moderated front page uh, streams before where you're looking at 30,000, 40,000 people in the room. Yeah, so you have 30,000 people in the room. It's virtually impossible to control bad conduct. Yes and no. You have enough moderators for the incoming content. You can turn on slow mode, so you know you, people can't be spamming. You really heighten the auto mod features, but you're right. There's you know there will always be a crack for something to slip through, or you look at people who make obscene usernames that pop up on stream when you have the alerts going saying you know X just followed. Um, yeah, and, it, and I think it's alerts. like anything else. We're never mm-hmm. going to eradicate a hundred percent of the bad behavior, and that's mm-hmm. just representative of society Uh, but we can start eradicating larger and larger chunks do you see it getting better sadly no hate raids are still happening on twitch and this isn't you know i don't want to turn this into a soapbox of streaming platforms need to do more but they do twitch 
really needs to step its game up when they have someone who the same IP address is creating a hundred to a thousand accounts over the course of two days. That should be a flag. They should all be flagged. You have creators who, you know, black creators, queer creators, anyone who is identified as, you know, quote unquote, different being attacked simply for existing on the platform. And, you know, I'm not naive to think that they can do it in the snap of a finger, but at the same time, user safety needs to be a bit more front and center. Yeah, I've I've always been surprised, and I say this almost uh, every session I have Empower Your Performance, that gaming for so many years, and still to a certain extent, is kind of an activity that's a cry for help, that people think it's just antisocial kids sitting in the corner with acne scars playing and not doing anything. And I've always just amazed me that the publishers, and certainly the larger publishers, don't do public service announcements of all the good that comes from gaming, the the community building, the, the good social relationships, the fact that... You know, I think there's a large percentage of city managers that became city managers because of SimCity. And, you know, the Notre Dame Cathedral is being rebuilt partly from Assassin's Creed um, kind of digital uh, blueprint. I mean, that's all really positive stuff. And and Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm always surprised that those that have the voice and the control don't share it. But we're not going to spend a whole lot of time just bashing that and saying, I just, I'm sad to hear that it still continues, but your story is equally as powerful. So when did you get into esports? when, from the community manager streaming perspective, what made you make that, that shift and when? I want to say it was 2015 when I started working in esports, and it was just, I, I'd had a bad experience with the last, I was working with gaming centric brands, particularly energy drinks. And I, I had seen kind of the underbelly of these gaming startups and how they treated the affiliate program. And I just, I didn't want to deal with it. And I'd been a fan of professional halo for a while. And I had a friend who used to work at the company that I had just left. And he was like, listen, they need a community manager. Why don't you, you know, talk to them, see how it goes. And I was hired about 15 minutes into the call. <laughs> so <laughs> that just, you know, I started there and it has. I would hire you 15 minutes into a call as well. So <laughs> well, thank uh, you. You're welcome. Oh, and, and when was that? Uh, 2015. Oh, OK. It's not that long ago. And so you're you're still today community managing. Actually, I am the director of operations for my current org. And they compete in how many different titles? I always forget. Currently, AWC, which is WoW. We have Apex. We Our last ALGS series, we were the champions. And then we have our own host of Fortnite Pros. We have roughly about $2 million in earnings over the last two years. That's fantastic. So as you manage some of the, you know, the operations and the professional mm-hmm. athletes, and there are a couple of things I want to get in before our time runs out because conversations like this go all too fast. Is there training for the professional athletes before they're playing about their conduct and the consequences? Is it part of the organization manual to impose upon the individual players the appropriate etiquette and respect and choice of language? Yes, to a point. We have a discussion with them. There is a code of conduct clause in at least our contracts. 
because, you know, it's the joke that I, you know, everyone calls me mom because I do. It's like babysitting because a lot of the people that, well, all of them, I think all of our pro players are younger than me, you know, some are in their teens. And there is the conversation of, listen, you know, I understand you may get frustrated. You represent our org. You, you don't need to behave. You need to carry yourself with a little bit more respect. You know, you hear of large corporations have diversity training, Mm -hmm. right? Discrimination training. It would be interesting if there was a formal program in gaming and esports, certainly esports, because you can Mm -hmm. put that as a clause in a contract to have a formal training program for staff, players, and what have you about those standards of, of conduct. It's something where, where I'm at now, fortunately, we have, you know, our identities, our sexual identities, our genders, religion, all of it, we're all across the board. So it's something where we work with a mutual respect because everyone comes from different backgrounds, different races. And there's a, you know, it's something where when people are posting about holidays, it's always if you celebrate, which is the first place I've seen that. Or if you're celebrating today, you know, like it was Easter. Right. It was if you celebrate Happy Easter. Right. Okay. Um, That's so great. it's been something that, at least with our staff, has been amazing because we all, you know, everyone literally, we have, it runs the gamut. And it's something I've never worked anywhere as diverse as here. So I mean, oh, I'm we're glad, lucky, I'm glad but, to hear that. I, I'm mm-hmm. glad to hear that. So as time runs out, I have one last question for you. Mm-hmm. Based upon, you know, the, the hierarchy or you know, the, the arc of your experience from the foster care to where you are now, what's your advice to somebody similar to where you were that is being trolled or it's on the wrong end of bad behavior, words, conduct or otherwise? What do you want to say to them today to help them? Because you obviously have come through it well. What do you say to them? I think you know, it's a bit of a cliche that it gets better, but and it's hard to understand this, especially if they're where I was, but you're not alone. I promise you there you, especially now, because, you know, when I was growing up, the Internet wasn't as prevalent. You can find people who share your interests. You can find people who, you know, play the right games. There are. You know, speak Twitch specifically, there are so many people who all they want to do is foster a good community and create a space where everyone is welcome. Everyone can relax and just be themselves. And, you know, unfortunately, with what you go through, you may have to look a little bit more hard or, you know, you have to look harder than anyone else. But it's worth it because I can tell you, you know, I struggle socially, like in person. I'm horrible. And it's something where I find that hard to believe, but I'll take your word for it. (laughs) It's online. It's you have that buffer where if I'm really uncomfortable, I can shut the computer off. Without a doubt. Without Mm -hmm. a doubt. Allie, thank you. We try to keep this at 30. So you've got other things to do. You know, my heart breaks for the story and the life that, that you had to get through and win, which is fantastic. Thank you for your strength, your power. And your continuation in making the world safe for everybody in and out of gaming. And we'll have a, a follow-up session and see if the world of gaming changes. Thank you for having me. All right, Allie. Be well. Stay healthy. Thanks again for your time. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the MAP 
Esports Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to leave us a review and follow us on your favorite podcast player.